Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 112. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brooke. This is Ben. G'day, g'day, g'day. G'day. How you doing? Rude. So rude. I'm so sorry. My email pinging at you. Today is a wonderful episode with Kirsty Barchak, who is a Melbourne person. She, <laughs> human being of Melbourne. A Melbourneite. A Melbourneite, a Melbourneian. Mm-hmm. She and I talk about gardening as a you know general umbrella theme, growing food for your family specifically. Uh, first of all, this is something that I just super love. I this love- has been a passion for yours for ever since we've had a garden. Yeah. Yes, it has. But it, I think I've I kind of dove headfirst into gardening when I was at my worst. Uh, you know, mentally and emotionally when the kids were tiny babies. And I remember the pleasure I got from from growing something. And at that point, it wasn't vegetables. It was just I planted like a native garden. And I remember distinctly spending time outside, even if it was just 30 seconds on the way to or from the clothesline, which is something I still do almost every single day, Mm -hmm. checking the growth of things. And I started to realize you know, the, like the recognize the way things were unfolding and growing. And, and I don't know, it, the, the miracle of it really struck me. And at the time, I didn't realize that what I was doing was practicing mindfulness because I hadn't discovered, you know, simple living or anything at this point. And I was really just in a horrible place emotionally, mentally, in pretty much every kind of way. But that was my my kind of, I don't know, my, my sanity check. So Kirsty and I speak about that quite a bit in today's episode but also her uh her she's written a book recently and this is something that I know will appeal to so many people listening because the name of the book is grow just one thing and she would see so many people in her work who were like I want to grow vegetables for my family I want to be able to provide all of our you know all of our Mm. fresh food needs all year round and she would see people be very passionate about it and start to try and do that and become really overwhelmed or simply not have the time to do it and then feel like they're kind of failing. They're not doing this slow living or this, you know, this healthy living or this this grow your own kind of thing well enough. So she wanted to encourage everyone to just grow one thing. And I think that is such a great, a great place for people to begin, a great place to encourage people to when they're starting to, to learn how to garden and, and grow something. And she talks specifically about some of the the excellent things to start with too. Oh, that's awesome. Like the, the hard to kill things, which yes. is good. Yes, that is always good. <laughs> but isn't that a form of of intentional living as well, that single tasking aspect? Exactly. And that's why it really resonated? Yeah, well, that's part of the reason that I absolutely loved it because, mm. you know, it's like what I did when I first decided that, yes, I did want to grow some of our own food, we dug six beds like we went from zero to yeah. six beds mm. and guess what happened? It was way too much work and I didn't had, I hadn't done enough research and, you know, it kind of broke my spirit. I'd worked on it for two years and really didn't get much from it Return because the soil was terrible and all mm. these other things that mm. I just didn't know. And had I started with one bed or one, you know, one small pot and grown from there, it would have been a, a different sort of experience. So I love the idea of coming way back from going like, I want an Instagram pretty version of a garden 
which isn't a real thing anyway, to let's just grow some parsley, you know, in a pot near the back door and start there. And, yeah, I, I just love it as a, as a philosophy. And, you know, Kirsty's got so much to offer in terms of that, but she also talks about her personal story and, you know, why gardening's super important. If there was one vegetable that you, you know, if you had just one thing that you needed to grow, what would it be? That if I could only choose one? Yeah. Can I eat other things? Yeah, you just have... Of course you can eat other things, but your single purpose was to grow one thing and it fed your family and other people as well. What would you grow? Cucumbers. Okay, cucumbers and kale. Probably those two things. No, 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 no. Just one. one. Yeah, see, this is what I do. This is what I do. Exactly. Kirsty's like, grow just one thing. I'm like, okay, great okay, idea. Great. I'll I do two. Five. <laughs> this is why I need slow living so much. Because I need to just calm it down, Brooke. <laughs> Before we get into the conversation with Kirsty, though. Me. Oh, if you <laughs> sorry. Didn't mean to. Coriander for me. Okay. Because whenever I go to the shops, there's never any good coriander. Do you know why? Because coriander is super seasonal. It only grows for a little while. Right. Like it's hard. I think I I believe that it's hard to grow it out of, almost impossible to grow it out of season. Uh, And it's either grown like, you know, in big, big warehouses or. Because it never, you pick up a coriander like bunch and it never smells like coriander. Like it just smells like nothing. Yeah. Or they smell, they smell like like that damp slimy smell. They've been sitting in storage for quite a while. Yeah. Coriander is delicious though, and I know coriander is the most like, loved or hated herb. Yeah, I think people are like, I love coriander, and other people are like, it's poison. Yeah, yeah. It tastes <laughs> think, like dead ants. Yeah, that's what people say. Yeah, dead ants yeah. or soap. Mm-hmm. I hear that. I hear both of those things. Huge fan of coriander. I love coriander. Mm-hmm. I also enjoy eating dead ants though. So. Before I get into the conversation with Kirsty. I did want to throw out two quick mentions of things that are happening at the moment. Perth, this will probably be your last opportunity to grab a ticket for A Simpler Way with Kelly Exeter, Alex Stewart and myself. It's on the 29th of October. So this time next week, I'll be on a plane. You'll be on a plane. I'll be on a plane over to Perth. So I'm super excited about about that uh, that event. You head to asimplerway.com.au. You can grab tickets, find out a bit more about the event there. But it's going to be a, an afternoon of lots of simple living conversations and really practical, helpful advice on simplifying your home, your life, and the food that you eat as well. So head over there if you're a Perthite, a Perthernian. <laughs> Second thing is I'm really excited actually to say that the A Simple Year, the uh, the online course that I've been a part of for the last few years, Courtney Carver and Leah Babauter and quite a few other wonderful sim I thought you would have muted that. I'm really sorry. Simple living advocates and writers. It is open for early bird registrations for 2017 and they will close mid-November and reopen again uh, at the regular regular fee uh, at the beginning of January. So if you're interested, maybe even if you want to consider giving it as a gift mm. to someone for Christmas, Hint, hint. Uh, you can head over to... Was it to me? No, it was just a, a general hint, hint. <laughs> just head over to slowyourhome.com and at the top, uh, in the top menu, you'll see a link to Simple Year. Click on that and 
Bob's your uncle. And so it's easy to gift someone? I believe so. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I know that that it has been done before. So drop me an email if, if you can't find a way of doing that and uh, we'll work it out. But Particularly th- for people that don't want to give stuff this Christmas. I'm all about giving stuff. <laughs> give experiences. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's yeah, actually a really actually great a idea. idea, something to yeah. do even with a, a friend or a family member as mm. well and kind of work through it. It's 12 months just to, to mm-hmm. kind of take you through what it, what it looks like. It's a 12-month guided course in simplicity, and each month is led by a different Simple Living advocate. So I'm actually doing January next year, and that's all about clutter and learning to let go and you know all the different strategies and, and really practical ways of learning to live with less, but then also learning to bring less into your house and recalibrate what enough looks like. Uh, the other the other months deal with things like travel and finances and food and work and busyness and mindfulness and happiness things like that. It's such an incredibly good, uh, a, a great course and incredibly good value as well. It's like a whole of system approach, really, isn't it? It is. Mm. So head over to slowyourhome.com. Just click on the link at the top to a simple year, and enjoy my conversation with Kirsty. How are you? Hi, Brooke. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Very well. It's so nice to talk to you. We were just chatting off air a second ago. We've met, you know, kind of on the periphery quite a few times, but I've been a long-term admirer of your work and your book and your website, and I, I admit I, I creep on your garden a lot <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and it's it goes both ways because I've also been a big fan of your work for a long time. So, yeah, it's nice to be involved with Slow Your Home. So thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. No, I think we've got a lot that I, I really want to talk about. I mean, specifically, you've, you've recently put out a book that deals with your philosophy of, of teaching people to grow just one thing, which I think ties in amazingly with with these ideas of taking small steps in all different sorts of changes in in all areas of our lives. But first, I just want to ask you, out of curiosity, where did your interest in gardening come from? I mean, did you come from a, like a gardening family or did, did you discover it once you had your own home? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I did discover it when I had my um, first son. So I was just so in awe of this tiny little being that I just was really passionate about making sure that I only put the very best food that I could into his pure little body Mm -hmm. and for me um, I'd just been made redundant from a corporate job that I'd been in and that was an all-consuming kind of job so I decided I wanted to kind of take a breath and step down a bit and gardening was something that I really wanted to try. So yes, I did have um, grandparents who grew veggies and had chooks and things like that when I was growing up. But to be honest, I wasn't really involved with that. Like I don't really recall that being part of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think for me, it was really triggered when, when my first son was born. It's really interesting that you say that actually because that was not dissimilar to to me with gardening. I mean, I I didn't have any 
any thoughts to growing enough to actually feed our family at that point. But I, I don't know if it was something about birth and, and growing or if it was more a matter of having the time. Um, although in saying that, I didn't really have the time. I think gardening, <laughs> it was, uh, I was running a business at the time and, it, you know, that was a, no particularly happy point in my life. But I was thinking about it this morning as I was preparing to chat with you. And I feel like gardening was also a bit of a, an escape too for me. And, you know, the ability to, and I didn't have the language at the time to describe it like this, but it was sort of a mindfulness practice, you know, to see something that you had planted and for me, initially, it was like a very basic native garden, and then I grew some herbs. But to see something that you'd planted and to see it start to take root and those tiny little changes that you only recognize if you spend time, you know, in the garden and outside and examining the plants and the way that the shoots come out of the soil or the way that the branches kind of start to grow and spread, I feel like there was a, a real mindfulness to it as well. And again, I didn't have that language at the time, but did you experience that as well? Yeah, I did. I think for me as well, we, our home that we had at that time was in the Yarra Ranges in Melbourne. And um, my husband had a, a two acre property there and I moved to that spot which was just filled with all these beautiful huge gorgeous gum trees and we had you know just such space and quiet and um, beauty there and I'd moved to his home from um, a one-bedroom apartment in Fitzroy in in the city so for me as well it was about really connecting with um, our new home and our family and creating mm. that space for us. So I think, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I've become increasingly mindful over the years and increasingly tuned into to what it means to our family. Um, as you say, you don't always necessarily recognise it at the time, but um, I'm really starting to understand it more and more, I think. And I think there's something really powerful in that idea of spending time outdoors. I mean, for you, it was when you moved to your new home and getting to know even just the, the sounds and the way the light works and, you know, the, the, the seasonal shifts in the sunlight and all of those kinds of things. And it sounds so small and, and even insignificant. But I think that, I know for me, when I when we moved to the mountains, for example, we moved from an inner city suburb to, to a you know, a pretty large suburban block in the, in the mountains. And even just getting to know those seasonal changes was really important in feeling like this place became home, you know, and I think that there's something really, really interesting in that. And I mean, it, partly just being outdoors, I think, but also partly learning to connect with, with the place in a, in a different sort of way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And for us, it really came into play when we when we moved houses rather than our first house because we then had a second little baby on the way and um, we had a blank slate at our second home where we currently are. And so as a family, we created um, this productive edible garden that, and we did it together. So it was a real 
special family bonding time and because we were so immersed in it we we did as as you just mentioned really take note of how things worked and the lay of the land and um you know where the sun was positioned in the days and and things like that so it was it was a really nice thing that we did together to connect to our, our new home how do you when you're faced with a blank slate sometimes I feel like that's almost a more overwhelming situation to be in because how do you start? I mean, what did you do to start <laughs> creating, you know, a productive garden? Um, I I knew that our first home, the soil was really poor because of the gum trees. So mm-hmm. it was really hard to grow there because they sap out all the nutrients from the soil. So I was really excited to have the opportunity for this new um fresh start where there wasn't that sort of overlay on the land so we just started with um, a raised garden bed and we had one area of the garden that got flattened out and my husband built me three beds and really over the last five years it's expanded from there so I've in the meantime I've I got my three beds going and once they were productive and um, everything was going along beautifully, I decided I needed more than that. So I dug up all the grass in between the beds and then I planted between those as well. And then I dug up the grass at the end of the beds and planted there. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, we had a retaining wall that was kind of falling down and it was dangerous really for the kids. So that was on my husband's repair to-do list. So um, we decided that we'd ch- put that whole level and make it a, um, more of a pretty sort of pottager um, space where I'd have lots of herbs and all the lettuce that it's a little bit closer to the to the back door. So it's, it's nice and quick and easy to access. So then I started that one and that was really hard work. Like, um, you know, I had to sift rock out and mm. it took me a really long time. <laughs> But, um, yeah, and then we added fruit trees as the kids grew. So it was like, oh, my goodness, we spend so much money buying fruit (laughs) (laughs) for lunchboxes. We need to grow some fruit. So we added fruit trees and, yeah, I just keep adding really. (laughs) I think Um, Slowly taking it over. It's so addictive though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Once you get started, it really is. And, you know, I started really small at our first house and not much worked and I only really grew successfully the really basic things like lettuce. Mm -hmm. And now we, um, in summer, harvest about $240 worth of fresh veggies a month and um, every day pick pick something from the garden that I add to to our meals. So so across the rest of the year, yeah. Yeah, but you know that's uh, that's the point that's is our comfort point because that's what we works for me. That's mm-hmm. what I can deal with. I think um, it's a matter of finding that you know nice sweet spot. And for some people, that might just be one pot at the back door with some um, parsley in it. For other people, it might be one raised garden bed is absolutely perfect for them, and that's all they need. And I would suggest that would be you know common for most for a lot of families and that would be great Mm. um but you know for us I I use it I guess as my training ground as well so I use it to experiment with different plants and to test various you know pest control things and (laughs) um you know to add in odd plants that I wouldn't normally grow and things like that as well so 
I think uh, the tendency, I know this is me speaking from my personal experience. I tried to go big straight away. I put in six sort of in-ground uh, uh, beds when we, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. And like completely in denial about the fact that a I had the ability to to do that, and b the fact that we didn't have maybe within twenty meters of our garden beds at least ten huge trees <laughs> whose roots yeah. filled up with the beds immediately, and because I was just I was committed to the idea of going big immediately from the beginning. And it defeated me. I kept up with it for about two years and nothing ever properly grew. And it really broke my spirit. And it wasn't until I went back and started from basically your philosophy of growing just one thing and found what worked in our, you know, in our garden and then started building on it. And only recently we've put in two really big raised garden beds that everything is growing like magic because we've figured out what actually works in our space. But I think that there's this sort of tendency with some people to to really want to grow their own and you see these beautiful images of these you know incredible gardens on suburban blocks that I mean, the the story behind it is that it's taken 10 years to get to that point but we kind of want to jump through <laughs> that <laughs> that building process and just get to the end so is that part of the reason that you wrote your book which is which is called grow uh, grow one thing grow just one thing rather uh, because you saw people becoming overwhelmed at the, the prospect of starting to grow their own food? Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely about the overwhelm. And the other thing it was about was is the time that mm. when I was um, over, I've had a I've had my um, blog for four years and over that time my community um, just listening to people ask me questions and tell me about their problems and what it is they're trying to do in their own homes one of the key things people said that was stopping them from getting started was that they said look I just don't have the time mm-hmm. and even if I had the time I don't even know where to start like I just don't know what to do so um, for me grow just one thing was really about breaking it down to the basics and removing those two items as an issue because if you're just growing one thing it really doesn't add in any time to your day it's literally seconds to add a little bit of water to a pot here or there Um, and it was about focusing on just taking it easy and just choosing that one thing remove that pressure from yourself choose something that's fast growing with really low care requirements like a a lettuce or um, parsley or rocket or something like that radish and look after it get some success and just see where that goes for you yeah so it was just breaking it down to the very basics and making it easy for people I think making something easy, so easy that you almost can't say no to it is, is really important. You know, you say you don't need to have even one whole bed, just one pot that's near the door that you walk past, you know, five times a day anyway. So it's, it's literally not going out of your way to do anything. But I think one of the things you realize really quickly is how enjoyable it is to pick a handful of parsley or a couple of lettuce leaves to, and then you go and eat it or you put it in the meal that you're making. There is something so ridiculous satisfying about it isn't there absolutely and from a health perspective as well for, for your family like you can't do much better than mm. picking and eating it immediately because the vitamin content is at its absolute highest peak there's no storage there's no travel there's no 
um, degrading of that quality. What you're eating is the very best it could be for you and your family. And that's why when people say that they've tasted their first homegrown tomato, they would never go back to buying store tomatoes. It's incomparable because, you know, the vitamin C is so much higher in a homegrown tomato that you've just picked and it's been fully ripened. It's not picked before it's ripe so it can get to the store and sit in their storeroom and come out to the shelf and go home with you and sit on your bench. You know, it's it's such a different way to experience food that when people taste that change in flavour and you think, oh, my gosh, I did this. <laughs> we did this. We raised this and or, you know, and if you have your kids involved, that's really so exciting for the children to see the development of that vegetable or that herb and you know it's a real thing of pride for them to and celebration to bring it into the home and say oh mum what can we do with this let's add it to dinner tonight or you know and you can say well this is your carrot you grew this there is that you're absolutely right that that sense of pride and achievement of putting a seed a tiny tiny little seed in the ground and caring for it over weeks and months and then pulling that carrot out or that beetroot out or you know those snow peas and getting to enjoy it it's I have a ridiculous grin on my face right now because I get so much joy from it (laughs) and I just I get so much joy from watching my kids get joy from it too I mean the other day we pulled out some carrots was we overplanted our carrots and we pulled out some baby carrots the kids wanted to see what size they were and they were perfectly edible size so they literally munched them basically straight out of out of the uh the ground and it was the best thing because my kids had been fussy eaters for quite a few years you know and They'd try things, but they were always sort of stuck in their in their their favourite kind of food rut. And just to see them embrace the idea of trying something that they wouldn't have tried even twelve months ago is is a delight as well. Do you find that your your two kids are more adventurous in trying things when they grow them themselves? Yeah, absolutely. My children are really are adventurous eaters. They'll pretty much try everything. That's partly because of our lifestyle. I'm constantly recipe testing, so they don't have a choice. (laughs) So they get a lot of different types of foods and a lot of different styles of foods presented to them as well as a lot of different vegetables. And, yeah, they're happy to try it and they eat really well. Like Mm. they're not picky, fussy eaters. But I don't see myself as a good gauge for that because I think I don't, our lifestyle is not necessarily something that everybody has. So I think I've gauged it more from the feedback that I get from my customers and the people I work with when they tell me that their children now will eat spinach and their children will now eat lettuce and, um, you know, they're eating pumpkin because they grew a pumpkin in their garden. So for me, that's the big win because, you know, that's new for them and that's different for them. So, yeah, I love it when, when people tell me that their children have started to in- incorporate different foods in their diets that they've grown that's that's exciting it is exciting and I think I mean I always tie gardening back to mindfulness because I think to me that's a big part of why I enjoy it so much add in the fact that I'm growing food and that's sort of a double joy but I also think that it's there's a sense of wonder that I see with the kids as they watch something slowly emerge and turn into food that they'd only ever previously seen at a supermarket you know I think there's a real like a, there's like a miracle at play there that the kids actually get to, and adults too get to to watch and I think when you can then turn that into 
this is beautiful and wonderful, but we also get to eat and it tastes good. You know, I feel like for my kids anyway, that has been a, a big turning point and they're just absolutely keen to eat pretty much anything that we've grown with the exception maybe of chilies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I commonly hear that from people and it's, it's amazing. I've just started to, since my little boy started school this year, I've, my children are, I feel like I've given them a really good grounding in where their food comes from and seasonality and how things grow and our connection with the environment that I kind of got to a point where I thought, oh, okay, well, my kids are all right, but what am I going to do now? Mm. So I decided to start to work with preschools and um, I've started a program where I go and help preschools set up a um, vegetable garden and I do a, a bit of an incursion program with, with the kids as well and the first one I did was just it blew my mind I just the kids were so excited and just so keen to hear about how this these seeds would transform into the food and we planted up their garden and they got some seeds to take home and stuff as well so they could transfer it to their own homes but, you know, you go back and visit and they pull you down to the garden and say, oh, it's the veggie ladies here. <laughs> and they come and show me how everything's grown and they're, how their peas are going. And they're just so excited by the whole prospect. And, you know, the teachers take in the harvests and they eat them for their snacks at snack time. And um, I've had a couple of the mums message me on my social media and actually I was – they, one of the kinders I work with did a replanting for their summer vegetables earlier this week. And the day after, one of the mums sent me a message and said, were you at the kindergarten yesterday? Because my little girl just disappeared this morning and I couldn't find it anywhere. And she's made compost. She's... <laughs> um, She's got one cup full of compost and she's put hay in there. She's asked me for a carrot and an apple for her snack, told me that we're not wasting the skins anymore, we're going to use them, and she's put it in the cup and put some water in and then the other cup, she's not added any water. And I had been to the kinder and we'd, we'd talked about composting and we set up a little experiment with the kids and she'd gone home and mimicked it and that just completely made my day I was so excited by that that you know she had listened to every single tiny detail of what I talked about and replicated at home including putting holes in the top of the plastic wrap that covered the container and put it on the window like everything you know that enthusiasm is just so wonderful and refreshing and you know I just love it I love it it's the best job <laughs> oh, it must be I, that must just be so satisfying have you heard any feedback from parents of the preschool like, of any flow-on kind of effects of the gardening the garden being put in and then the kids being I guess put in charge of, of the care of it as well I mean have there been any other surprising sort of effects of it I don't know that that I'd say they're surprising, but yeah, I have had mums um, show me, send me pictures of the children's seedlings that have grown, and then how they've gone into the garden, and you know the kids tell me about how big they are and what they've picked from them and things like that. So, I guess it's just that validation that these children are taking it on board yeah. and they're going and taking action from it, and they're 
taking it to their home, which is fabulous because for me, my dream is that everyone can experience the benefits and the positive impacts of growing one thing at home. Yeah, I'm really passionate about inspiring families to do it. So to have the kids go home and initiate it is just gorgeous. Oh, it's it's fabulous. What's your number one tip, I guess, or your, your go-to tip for people who are looking to start, they just want to grow just one thing? What are the maybe what are some of the the hardest to kill plants or the 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 ones that need the least maintenance that are still going to give people a bit of a harvest? I think definitely lettuce. Mm-hmm. Uh, start with lettuce or a herb um, for the particular season. So at the moment, coming into summer, although we're a bit cold this year, usually I'd say start your basil, but it's kind of still like winter here mm-hmm. in Victoria. <laughs> But, you know, the, the herbs that are seasonal for this point of year. So, But lettuce is a really easy one. And before it gets too hot, spinach is really great as well. I really like to plant things that you can use raw as well as cooked yeah. so that you're getting that versatility from the food. But pick what you know your children will eat to grow first because there's no point starting off with something that you know they're not going to touch or then you know they're not going to want to get involved in. And then once you've had that quick win um, and once they've experienced that excitement and been involved in the process, then you can start to get a little bit more adventurous if you want to. You don't have to. And, you know, you can start to experiment with things like purple carrots and black tomatoes and rainbow-coloured beetroot and all the amazing heirloom varieties that you can that you can get access to they're so much more interesting than sort of the bog standard ones that you find at supermarkets and because we just don't see them I mean I know even as an adult when I started to see maybe the more unusual varieties of tomato or even like shard and things like that it, it blew my mind because I just I had never seen them I always grew up with you just your your standard maybe silver beet and your beetroots were always just purple or red and that was kind of it. But there's this sort of amazing world of heirloom varieties that I never knew existed. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's fun. The kids find it really exciting when you chop into something and it's an unexpected colour. They oh, It's a lot of fun. So number one care tip, I guess, for people just beginning? Oh, number one care tip is put it in the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, Your plants need four to six hours of direct sunshine every day. So you've got to make sure that it is getting that sun or it won't grow. And the main thing people tell me as well is that they forget to water. So that's the second tip, water your plants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Particularly if it's in a pot because they will dry out very quickly um, once the weather starts to warm up. So, you know, it's really easy to create a bit of a chart for the kids and start off with um, checking the soil every three days. And if if it feels dry, then give it a water. And then ongoing, you can then say, okay, I'm going to get Johnny to water every third day and give it to your kids as a responsibility to keep it going. But you just need to get into that flow, find out the right frequency. And for summer, for example, you're going to have to do it potentially every day if it's in a pot because it does dry out quickly. Yeah, but in the garden, it's a bit more forgiving. You mentioned before the, the time factor was huge. Now, you're, um, you're a mum of two, you work full-time, you run your own business, you work in preschools and online, you've written a book. How do you personally find time for the garden? 
the garden's my sanity, Brooke. So I make time for the garden. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I'm looking at my inbox and it's flooded with emails I need to respond to or things I need to action or if I'm preparing for an event, I just get up and go to the garden. Um, I build in time every day to walk around as part of my meal preparation. So when I'm preparing our meals, I'll always go out to the garden to, to get whatever I can to add into the meal. And in winter, that might not be as um, – it's definitely not as much as what it is in summer. It might just be some extra parsley or some bok choy or something. But it's it's part of my routine that mm. I will go out there and get what I need. So I just incorporate it and I do things in small pieces as well. Like I don't kind of walk out to the back garden and go, oh, my goodness, you know, five beds need weeding and I need to put <laughs> up a, you know, I need to tie up all the peas again and this is blown over in the wind. I just go, yeah, you know, when I get a minute on the weekend, I'll go look at that. So it's just not being too stressed about it. I think the garden's going to keep growing, like, you know, it's that's what it does. The garden will look after itself. <laughs> I I make the time because it makes me feel good to go mm. outside. I guess is 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 the answer. It clears my head. It gives me perspective. It gives me inspiration. So you know, if I don't know what's for dinner, I'll walk outside and look around and think, oh, gee, I didn't realise the fennel was ready. What can I make with fennel tonight? And so I'll start to, you know, my mind will start to tick over and think about what we can have for dinner. So I think there's something really important in that, or a few things that are really important in what you just said, though. I mean, first of all, you don't try and do everything all at once. So there's sort of this idea of just kind of daily action means that things are never going to maybe get completely out of hand because you're, you're kind of always monitoring what's going on. But also you you let go of this idea of perfection. I think, uh, again, this might be more reflective of my experience than people in general, but, you know, in, in my mind initially I had this kind of quite pristine-looking vegetable patch in my head where everything was in neat rows and it was always kind of completely weed-free and everything looked great. The reality is that it's always kind of a bit, some parts are a bit overgrown and some parts are are just coming on and some parts are messy and some parts aren't. And it's like you said, you just sort of let go and not stress about it so much because the garden is, it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is grow. And it's sort of, you know, a matter of getting to it when you can, rather than being uptight about doing it quote unquote the right way. Yeah, definitely. And you know, there's beauty in all the seasons and in the bareness of winter and the, you know, the dull, greens that come with that and then when spring bursts and you've got your companion plants and your flowers in the garden and the bees come in you know it's quite different and vibrant and compared to the jungle of summer Mm -hmm. so they've all got their beauty (laughs) I think that that sort of connection to the seasons though is is another beautiful thing you get to understand what's happening under the ground and, and why it seems like overnight you walk out to your garden and everything has just exploded in in growth. If you're, you're planting things and growing things and, and sort of paying a little bit more attention than you used to, you start to see signs of that. And again, okay, I keep tying it back to, to presence and mindfulness, but it's just that taking that extra second on the way back from the, the, the clothesline or from the, the letterbox of noticing those little differences too. And I think that 
that appreciation of the seasonal changes is a really beautiful thing, something that I've certainly learned to enjoy a lot over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really important for children to understand. For me, that's been a really important thing that I've wanted to teach my children is that growing food takes a little bit of effort and it takes time, that it's not immediate, that food isn't instantaneous. Mm. You know, it takes some plants take a really long time to grow and some plants are relatively quick, but they do have a process that that takes time and I really want my children to appreciate that and to value food. So, you know, we talk a lot in our home about um, seasons and uh, when my children were small, I taught them about um, fruit in particular because we weren't, we didn't grow enough at home, um, what fruit was in season at what time because I really don't like supporting fruit that's coming from overseas so I just won't buy it Mm. Um, that's just a personal thing for me so I taught my children that grapes are not in season in winter so they don't go in the lunchbox in winter but in winter they can have oranges and apples and mandarins Um, and then in summer it's so exciting because all the stone fruit comes in and you get your peaches and your apricots but there is a time for all of those vegetables and all of those fruits where um, it's the right time to eat them because that's when they grow in this part of the world. So they get to see that in the garden. They get to see that it changes and evolves and that, you know, we've got broccoli coming from the garden now, but it's nearly finished. And then the tomatoes are going to go in and we'll start to have tomatoes with all our meals. So, yeah, I think learning about the natural, you know, the local environment is a really important thing for children to understand in a world where everything's just so immediate because you can go out and buy it from anywhere. You can buy anything you want, but is it the right thing to do? For my, for me and my family personally, I don't, that, that's not right for us. So we choose to, to use other things at those times of year. I think you're, you're, bang on with that sort of idea of everything being on tap and we don't necessarily have an appreciation for how long it takes for a broccoli to grow you know and what goes into it (laughs) (laughs) you know how long it takes for carrots to grow and you know it's really easy to just be to take for granted the fact that there is food you know always regardless of the season you can buy blueberries in uh you know a supermarket in australia and we just don't we don't think about it. There's sort of a disconnect there. But when you start to tap into the seasons and think about what maybe those those blueberries, for example, have been through in order to be in the supermarket in uh, like August, September, or something like that, then uh, then you start to kind of understand all of the systems that are in place to get our food into the stores. And I think that it's it's really interesting and important to start to understand seasons and maybe look at the idea of eating locally and seasonally because not only is the food coming from closer and it's fresher and all of that kind of thing but you know there's i think there's a reason for foods to be available at certain in certain seasons just naturally i mean i think that there's certain foods that that fit the seasons and there's certain i mean i'm i I don't know if there's science to back this up or not but there's certainly reasons for um you know, for eating more citrus, for example, in the winter months because of the vitamin C and all of that kind of thing. So I think eating seasonally could only be a good thing for us anyway. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if you can't grow things at home, 
there's always opportunities within your local community to visit your farmer's market or your farm gates um, and places that can have sourced that food on your behalf locally. So you know that it's in season, you know you're supporting local farmers and local businesses. So um, yeah, I think it's available to everybody who who wants to live in that way, I guess, and to really apply those principles. Mm. And just, pardon me, just an awareness as well of starting to understand the seasonality of food and, and all of those things. Um, do you have a favourite, favourite maybe sort of unusual vegetable or fruit that you grow that's that's something that you really enjoy growing and eating? Tomatoes are my, uh, my ultimate favourite, I think, because they're so versatile, but mm. they're not unusual, are they? Maybe fennel. I really love fennel and lots of people tell me they don't, eat or haven't tried fennel so I'm not sure if you'd class that as unusual but um, I love that you can eat fennel raw as well as cooked Mm. and that the flavour is just so significantly different when it's um, raw as opposed to cook when it's much sweeter when it's cooked so maybe that I've started to try to grow some unusual things like um finger limes and I've got a little macadamia tree that's got its first nuts on it which I'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) but I haven't tasted them yet so no I like to put in different things in my garden but on a regular basis maybe maybe a fennel I like trying different varieties of things as well so you know I might have 12 varieties of tomatoes in just to see which ones I like the most <laughs> or to use them in different ways as well. So some I'll, some I dehydrate and some I'll make into sauce and some we just eat fresh on toast or, you know, whatever. Yum. <laughs> My mouth just watered then. <laughs> oh, I love it. I lo- love a good fresh tomato. It's just the best thing. I used to eat them like apples. Well, I used to. I still do eat them like apples um, when I was a kid. Uh, that was my like my lunchbox was either a tomato or a cucumber or something like that. I think it was really interesting for me when I was writing my book because I interviewed um, a number of people who have their whole lifestyle based around their garden now. So they might have started a business from it. So they might be small growers or they might just have a really large um, backyard garden area that their whole Um, food and lifestyle revolves around but the question I asked them was um, what was the first thing that you grew and nobody could remember what their first thing was because they'd moved beyond that so significantly to food you know growing food becoming such a major part of their life that they couldn't remember that starting point which I thought was really interesting Mm. but they they did all mention homegrown tomatoes as being like right at the top of the, you know, list, priority growing list. <laughs> My pop was a, a great one for growing backyard tomato varieties. Uh, that was probably my introduction to to veggie gardening, actually. He had this sort of strip in his suburban backyard. And I remember it was this sun-baked kind of pretty dry, you know, completely open, no trees or anything, sort of strip of, of backyard that he'd turned into a a veggie garden but his tomatoes were amazing I think that's probably where it's it's come back to for me going back to his roots um yeah you know 50 years later yeah it does 
I think you do. You remember those things from your childhood. My nan grew radishes and, oh, my goodness, they were hot. They were really peppery <laughs> radishes. And I can't get my radishes to be that peppery now, so I'm not sure what, what sort of variety she was growing. But, yeah, I really remember munching on those radishes with a bit of oil and a bit of salt, which is, yeah, a strange way to eat them, I think. <laughs> I've never tried them that way. <laughs> That sounds delicious. So final question, I guess. Do you have any go-to resources that you suggest to people who are looking to, to start growing? They're just, just their first thing or, you know, maybe a small potted garden or maybe their first raised bed. Aside from your website, which is afreshlegacy.net, and your book, which is called Grow Just One Thing, can you recommend, you know, other places that people could find some good information about getting started? Yeah, sure. So one of the really important things is to make sure you're growing something that's suitable for the region that you live in. So there's a website called gardenate.com. So garden with ATE on the end. Um, And you can look up your own specific region and it will give you a list by month of what to plant for your own area. So that's really handy given the variation we get Um, in Australia Mm. is so extreme between the states. The other website I really think is a good one to look at um, is called Sustainable Gardening Australia. So it's sgaonline.org.au and they do some just really good blog posts or articles um, that are seasonal based. So that's, that's another good one. Fantastic. Yeah, they're they're the main two, I think, that I tend to look at once in a while. Excellent. Though I will leave links to both of those and also your your website and uh, everywhere that people can pick up your book in the show notes for today's episode. But you have a Facebook page, don't you? Can you tell people where they can find you on there? Yes, so you can find me on Facebook at A Fresh Legacy and on Instagram and the other social medias as well the same (laughs) fresh legacy thank you so much for chatting with me today Kirsty. it's been an absolute pleasure and you know you've you've let me blather on about gardening which i could talk about for hours i've very much appreciated it no it's good me too i could as well excellent (laughs) thanks brooke thanks Kirsty. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.